Morning, family. Welcome this morning. Glad you are here and I invite you now to turn in your Bibles. Grab your Bibles if you have them. If you don't have one, there should be a hardbacked black one nearby. Grab those and open them to the book of Ruth as we continue in our series here on the book of Ruth. And this morning we are going to be reading uh, chapter 3 together. Ruth chapter 3. We started chapter 3 last week and only made it through the first five verses, but we should be finishing uh, chapter 3 this morning. Although that means we may not get out of here until about 6 o'clock this evening. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Nervous laughs because nobody's entirely sure whether or not I'm joking or not. Okay, all right. I'm joking. It won't take us quite till 6 o'clock. All right. Ruth 3, we're going to read this together and at the end of the reading I'll say that this is the word of the Lord and invite you then to respond. I know I say this every week and there's reasons why I repeat this every week, but I want you to know that I am truly inviting you into a worshipful response in this moment after the reading and the hearing of the Word of God, where you have this morning brought yourself here to submit yourself to the Word of the Lord, and after the reading and the hearing of that Word, to respond in worship and say, thanks be to God. Amen? Let's read together. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a Redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If He will redeem you, good, let Him do it. But if He is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at His feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And He said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. 
When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So last week as we started chapter 3, we had to be reminded kind of what was going on. And just to kind of give you a recap and catch you up, we have Naomi and Ruth. And Naomi and Ruth are both widows. Uh, Naomi is the mother-in-law, Ruth is the daughter-in-law. And sometime years passed, Naomi and her family had fled from Bethlehem, fled from Israel, had gone into Moab, taken their sons with them, fleeing the discipline of the Lord as the Lord had brought famine upon the land because of the sin that was going on in the land at that time. We looked at the book of Judges and saw every man was doing what was right in his own eyes. And at first we can read that and we can go, well, that's, that sounds good. Don't we want people doing what they think is right? Well, the problem is, is that the only, we know, as the Bible says, that, that there is only evil in the heart of man continually. As Calvin says, our hearts are idol-making factories. And so when we do what is right in our own eyes, really what that statement is talking about is us doing what pleases us, what is for us, rather than what is for the Lord and what is pleasing for the Lord. And we see the discipline of the Lord coming in famine. And Elimelech take his, takes his family, Naomi and his sons, and they flee to Moab. And during the time in Moab, that sojourn in Moab, Elimelech dies. And Malon, his son, dies. And Chilion, his other son, dies. And they're left, Naomi, with her two Moabite daughters-in-law in the land of Moab. And something happens. While they're out gathering in the field, they receive good news. That the Lord has visited his people and given them food. And so Naomi and her daughters-in-law start out to head back to Bethlehem. But along the way, one of her daughters-in-law returns to Moab. But Ruth carries on with Naomi and they come into Bethlehem. They, they see not only has the Lord visited his people and brought bread, but Ruth then goes into the fields and begins to glean grain, barley, wheat, to bring back into the home, to provide for Naomi, and to care for her mother-in-law. But as it says in chapter 2, she just so happened, and we got to love that, she just so happened to go into the field of this man, whom chapter 2 calls a worthy man, not only because of his status socially, but because he was a God-fearing man, a worthy man, and he happened, just so happened to be a redeemer for Naomi and for Ruth, for their family. And so at the end of chapter 2, we see as Ruth comes home and Naomi's giving the inquisition about where have you been and who have you been with and finding out that she's been with Boaz in his field and not only has she been able to glean what was left behind, but Boaz had instructed his workers to pull out grain from their sheaths so that there would be 
ample and more than enough grain for Ruth to gather. Not only that, he gave her from his own table, from his own food. And she brought this back to Naomi. And we see the wheels start to turn as, as Naomi recognizes that this man is one of their redeemers. And so we get to chapter 3 and she says, this is what you have to do. How many men, I wonder, have a certain picture in their own mind of how they won their bride and yet somewhere behind that picture that that man has, there's probably a mother-in-law or a mother and a daughter strategizing how they need to convince this young man that he won such a great prize, right? It's been a great pleasure and privilege, and I pray one day I actually get to live this out. As uh, my daughter has, my oldest daughter, Bella especially, she's a little more in tune with these things, asks, you know, Daddy, who, who am I going to marry one day? And, uh, and she knows now that, that daddy's going to help her find a, a man. <laughs> and, um, and so when we find that man, we'll, we'll start to work our strategy and figure those things out. I'm sure mommy will have a better strategy than dad, but, but I'm going to help and hopefully scare the snot out of that young man. All right. Just in case there's any... Perspective. All right, anyways. And as we looked at this last week and we looked at the first five verses of chapter three, we began to see something very interesting, didn't we? That there's a parallel between what's happening here with Ruth and what happened with Mary. And how that this story of Ruth is actually for us this year, our Advent story. As we fast forward into chapter 4, we're going to see that not only is a child born to Ruth, but there is, as the women of the town virtually sing, that unto Naomi is born a son. And we are reminded that in the incarnation, in the coming of Jesus, that unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. And, and we looked at that that combination of Ruth and Mary and Naomi, and we saw how there was not only a similarity in the typology of this story of Ruth and Boaz and the child that is to be born to them, but, but there was also a contrast, wasn't there? Because we saw how Ruth is coming and, and she's saying, Naomi actually is saying to Ruth, you must go. And bathe, you must go and anoint yourself. You must go and clothe yourself, adorn yourself, so that you might entice this Redeemer. And Ruth hears this message, this go and do this. And she says in response, all you have said, I will do. And we talked about how that this is, is an accurate picture of the law, of the old covenant, that, that it is, do this, if 
then, if you do this, then you can expect this from God. But we looked at Mary and we saw a different kind of thing happening, didn't we? We saw the angel of the Lord coming and announcing good news to Mary of what God is doing, will do, and has done. And Mary's response is a gospel-filled response that rather than saying, all you have said I will do, but rather receiving that good news and saying, may it be unto me as you have said. And so that kind of catches us up to where we are this morning as we carry on in verses 6 through 9. And we're going to see uh, just simply through the rest of this chapter the, the relation of the rest of this narrative and what happens in the enactment of this strategy that Naomi and Ruth have put together. Ruth will follow through. Boaz will respond. Um, and then there's going to be a catch. And we're going to see what happens with that as time goes by. But look again at verses 6 through 9. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. So R Ruth was true to her word. All that Naomi said, she did. She, she bathed, she anointed, she clothed, she, she snuck, she came under cover of night, she waits until uh, no one can recognize her, she waits until Boaz has eaten and drunk and his heart, Bible says, is merry with meal and with, and with meat and with drink and he, and he lies down in sleep in restful, joyful, celebratory Rest. Why? Because it's the harvest. The work has been done and he's now enjoying the fruit of his labor and, and it's been a good harvest and the Lord is continuing to visit his people and bring them bread and Boaz lies down in joyful, restful slumber. And Ruth comes in the cover of night, after waiting for all that to take place. And she uncovers his feet, likely with his cloak or some other blanket that he had. And she lies down and covers herself with, with his robe and waits. As you can imagine, how you might feel at midnight to find some strange person lying at your feet knowing that you had lied down in merry, restful slumber after having enjoyed meat and drink, and perhaps wondering to yourself, oh, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> Remember, Boaz is a, a worthy man, and immediately he says, who are you? He wants to get to the bottom of what's going on here. And Ruth replies and answers who she is. But we can't miss the irony of how this takes place. Remember who Ruth is. Ruth is a Moabitess woman. Why is this important? Why is it important that Ruth is a Moabite? 
Well, because as a Moabite, she is descended from the wicked and sinful incestuous relationship between Abraham's nephew Lot and his daughters, where they got their father drunk in order to lay with him and manipulate from him heirs for themselves. That's Ruth's family tree. As she walks into Israel and all the Hebrew mothers start to shepherd their Hebrew sons away from this Moabite widow woman because they, in their minds, have to think that perhaps the apple doesn't fall very far from the tree. And here in the story we see Ruth coming under cover of night, waiting till after Boaz's heart is merry with meat and drink and has gone to sleep and coming and uncovering him, uh, his legs, uh, to lie down at his feet. There's irony here in the story. But although in our common sensibility this may seem to smack of impropriety, truly there's nothing of that in what Ruth is doing. And what may seem like to us as scandalous really is not scandalous at all. And in this action, Ruth is proving again her worthiness. Even though it's done under the cover of night, after Boaz is in good spirits, still, though it may seem to us as an act of impropriety, it is not. It is truly an act, though still bold coming from a woman. This is an act of proposal. Proposal of marriage. And though we cannot perfectly know all the customs, we can see in a description given by the prophet Ezekiel and his prophecy concerning the nation of Israel that this that this is in fact what was happening here. And so I'd encourage you, turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel chapter 16. And there's a, there's a picture of this, a description of this here in what God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the nation of Israel. We'll pick it up in verse 8 and we'll read through verse 14. Ezekiel 16 8 through 14. This is a picture we've looked at before, but it will be a good reminder for us. Ezekiel 16, 8 through 14, it says, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made, a vow, I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Listen to this. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nose and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver 
and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty. You see in this picture here that we have of this prophecy that God is giving to Ezekiel, we see the very thing that Ruth is enacting with Boaz as, as the Lord is saying, I, I covered you with my garment. And in that covering, what is he saying is happening? I'm making a vow, a covenant with you, and you became mine. This is a picture of betrothal, of marriage. And this is a covenant proposal of marriage. Again, don't miss the better covenant here in Ezekiel being sort of exemplified and talked about. Remember, Ruth had to bathe herself, anoint herself, clothe herself, adorn herself in order to entice Boaz with a pleasing picture and aroma of beauty. But here God says, as we pointed out last week, I will bathe you, I will anoint you, I will clothe you, I will adorn you. How great is His grace. Amen. And don't miss this in verse 12 of chapter 2. We have to look back and remember what Boaz had said to Ruth. Go back to chapter 2, Ruth 2, chapter 12. Remember when Ruth and Boaz first meet and he sees this young woman and he's asking about her and he's kind of, he's, he's intrigued by her. We can see his affections are already set upon her. He's already heard about her, but now he's getting a better picture as, as his workman is telling her. She's, she's, she's taken up residence here. She won't go away. She's employing herself in this industry and caring for her mother-in-law. And Boaz, in seeing this, he, he, he says something in verse 12 of chapter 2. What does he say? He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen to what he says. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So don't miss what's happening here. What does is, what is Ruth say? To Boaz, as he finds her in the middle of the night, uncovering him and laying at his feet, she says to him, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It's like Ruth turns to him and says, Are you... Will you? Are, are you willing to be the means of God's answer to your own prayer for me? Boaz is he's praying over her in chapter 2. May the Lord repay you under whose wings you have sought refuge. And now she comes and, and she says, spread, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. It's as if she's asking, will you, will you be, are you willing to be God's answer to your own prayer for me? Church, often when we're praying, we need to remember that we're not necessarily looking for supernatural, miraculous answers to our prayers. <laughs> when Boaz prayed that for her, what 
what Ruth didn't need was some other man to miraculously like show up and be her temporary redeemer. Now she did need a man to descend from heaven to be her eternal redeemer. But for her temporary need in that moment, Boaz is praying for this need to be met. And you can almost see the wink from heaven as God is saying, what she has needed I have already provided. We're not looking for supernatural means, but rather the ordinary means that God uses by working through His people to provide for His people. Church, Christ cares for His body the same way that we do. How, how do you care for your own body? By using the actual other members of your own body to care for itself. Do you not? You use your hands to bathe yourself, to, to carry out tasks for yourself. You use your feet to mobilize you into action, to get from here to there. You use all these different parts of your body. Christ cares for His body the same way that we do with our body. Each part nourishing and caring for the other. The hands doing, the feet moving, the eyes looking, the ears hearing. So that each part of the body may have the greatest advantage. Is that not what we do? Each part of our body working so that the other parts of our body may have the greatest advantage. And so listen to this. See this here in what's happening in the story of Boaz and Ruth, when God puts a burden on our hearts for someone in particular, so much so that it elicits from us prayers of blessing on their behalf, it may be that God is actually calling us to be the ones to minister that blessing to them or to take part in it in some way. Not always. Not always. But sometimes it is worth asking the question, or even better, as is the case for Boaz here, when the question is asked of you, to have a ready answer. Notice as we carry on that there was no hesitation. There was no stutter from Boaz. But there was a ready answer to meet the need that God had uniquely positioned him to meet. And I would say this, if, if you're in a place this morning, you're going, well, that's fine, but I don't, I don't really have a burden for anybody. Then I would say, ask God to give you one. Ask God that he would give you a burden for someone, for there is great joy in bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. There is even greater joy still in bearing the burden, the greatest burden of preaching the gospel to others so that they 
might find their Redeemer and be saved. Amen? Here at Redemption Hill, we have missional communities, MCs, we call them for short. And we've asked you all in these missional communities to ask God collectively together to give you a burden for someone, a person, a family, a neighborhood, a people group. And then to ask God to show you again collectively together how to be a part of the means of answering that prayer for blessing in their lives, recognizing that the greatest and most important need is not their material needs, but is rather their need for Jesus Christ. Each and every person as a different part of the body can be a part of fulfilling that burden of care. Each member being a participant in the means that God will use to save His people. How? Well, one or two seeing or hearing or sniffing out the need. Some mobilizing through organization. Others doing with their hands the labor some praying fervently from the bowels of desire for God's salvation to be wrought in people, still some to be mouthpieces speaking the truth of the gospel and of Jesus' finished work for them and on their behalf. And no part of that process is unnecessary. No part of that process is frivolous. The one who saw the need was just as important as the one who spoke the gospel. The one who organized and helped mobilize the mission was just as important as the one who did the labor of meeting the material need. The one who, who prayed fervently from the bowels of desire, the true seat of emotion that these people would be saved. Just as important. Paul would probably even say more important as those parts of our body that require the most modesty and usually go the most unnoticed are usually the most important. No part unnecessary, each part critical and unique so that no one person can say they have led anyone to the Lord by themselves but must recognize that one sows the seed, another waters, but God gives the increase. Amen? So look at verses 10 through 11. Hear Boaz's ready response. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord. Again, he's praying for her again already. I love that. Husbands, pray for your wives. Potential husbands, pray for your potential wives. Pray that God would bless them and protect them and care for them and seek to shepherd them. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And what kindness is he talking about that's greater than the first? He's referring to her own care of Naomi and coming with her and journeying with her and being with her and providing for her. 
And we know just from the story that Ruth is not an old woman, and yet we get a sense, even from Boaz's own words, that he might not be a young man. And yet he is a redeemer. And what, what's happening here? Well, the truth is, is that Ruth was not bound to go and find a redeemer and marry that man. She could have sought out a younger man, whether rich or poor, who caught her fancy and tried to bathe, anoint, clothe, adorn, and entice another man. And what would have happened in that union is that a new branch would have been started. The fields and the property that belonged to Elimelech, to Naomi, to Malon and Chilion would have remained in mortgage until the year of Jubilee, likely after Naomi had passed away. And there would have been no heir to inherit those lands. And there would have been no heir to follow in the line that was needed, not only for the sake of Elimelech's family and clan, but for that scarlet line that had began all the way back in Genesis 3.15 and wound itself all the way here to the book of Ruth. And Boaz recognizes that even in her pursuit of him, Naomi, uh, Ruth is still caring for Naomi. For truly, if Boaz and Ruth marry and a son is born to them, that son will be the heir of Naomi and Elimelech. And so Boaz recognizes this. And now look at verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. Now, why, why would he say that? Do not fear. Well, if you, you, you've, you've heard the phrase kind of like, I'm going out on a limb here. Maybe you've said that before. You've been in a vulnerable, intimate situation where relationship is at risk and you, you, you strip all away and you step out with yourself and there's this kind of like, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here. That, that's where Ruth is. She's going out on a limb here. I'm, hey, Boaz. <laughs> Surprise. Uh, you're a redeemer. Can you smell my perfume? Is it pleasing to you? I've done my hair. got my best robe. I'm finished mourning. What do you say? <laughs> Going out on a limb here. And what, Boaz, knowing this, seeing this, recognizing this, again, the wisdom of this man is being uncovered here. And he speaks grace to her. He speaks peace to her. And what does he say? Do not fear. In other words, what? 
Don't be afraid of not being accepted by me. Remember Jesus walking on the water, the disciples freaking out because they think it's a ghost. Not only is this a terrible storm, but now our worst fears are realized. Ghosts are actually real, (laughs) and we're all going to die. And what words of peace does Jesus speak? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. What words, what words of peace does our Savior speak to each sinner who recognizing their sin, contemplating their depravity, And yet, because of the faith that's been gifted to them, reach out and say, Oh, Jesus, will you receive me? And what are the words to every penitent sinner seeking Jesus? Do not fear. Verse 11. I will do for you all that you ask. Is this not? Is this not what we see? Is this not what we receive from Jesus himself? Boaz steps into that awkwardness with Ruth and he says, don't be afraid. You will not be rejected by me. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And in hearing Ruth declare her intentions, in hearing Ruth declare why she is there specifically. Boaz is yet again assured of the worthiness of this woman, for she is not seeking something in impropriety, but is actually enacting what is a true covenant in the land of Israel, a proposal of marriage. And he says, you are a worthy woman. Remember chapter 2, verse 1. Boaz was called a worthy man. And here in chapter 3, this is the feminine equivalent in Hebrew to the very phrase that was used of Boaz in chapter 2, verse 1. Now what's happened here? We, We have to understand when Boaz says, I will do for you all that you ask, did Ruth even understand what she was asking? I mean, we don't know. Maybe Naomi unpacked it for her. But in the text, we don't have that. We just have Naomi saying, okay, I'll do it. I'll do what you said. But did Ruth even comprehend what was was happening here? Why do I ask that question? I ask because 
this redemption comes at great cost. Not only does it mean that Boaz will marry Ruth, and and usually that's kind of how at a high level we kind of think about this story. Oh, Ruth and Boaz, and they got married and they lived happily ever after. But remember, the marriage was just one part of the redemption. The, The bigger part of it was that a son needed to be born, an heir. But not only that, not only does he take this woman, but now it also means that he must take her mother-in-law. So now, not only does he take this woman and now also her widowed mother-in-law into his own home to care and provide for and to protect, but also included in this work of redemption, for redemption truly is a work, Boaz must purchase all of their property. He must purchase all of their property, all that would have belonged to Elimelech and passed down to Chilion and Malon. Boaz must buy. He has to buy it. Not only that, but he must, in his advanced years, seek to provide an heir for Ruth who will inherit everything that he just paid for so that it may be passed in perpetuity through that heir instead of to whatever other children Boaz may have already had, if he had any. Now, according to the text, we don't know. But according to Jewish tradition, not only did he have an heir, but he had many. Like 70 or something. Now, it's Jewish tradition. has nothing to do with the text, and so it's just kind of interesting. Maybe, but even if he only had one, think about this, even if he only had one, do you think that if Boaz, being the man that he was, of means that he was, if he wanted to buy that property for his own investment and use, that he could have done that? He could have, and that property at least up until the year of Jubilee, would have passed to his children and his family until that time that it passed back to the original family, if there was the family. But now what Boaz is saying, when saying, I will do for you all that you ask, is he is saying, I will not purchase that for myself, I will purchase it for you. I will purchase it and it will be passed to our heir in his family in that line for the sake of Elimelech and his family rather than mine. Imagine if he had an heir. Imagine being his oldest son. Imagine if he is advanced in years and being an oldest son and suddenly daddy's got a hot new mama who's many years his junior And he's now taking his money that is supposed to be your inheritance and he's buying and purchasing all the property of Elimelech and all of that money that went to go into that property and buy that property for the house of Elimelech will now not go to you. Imagine being that guy. It puts it a little bit in perspective, doesn't it?
I will do for you all that you have asked. This ready response without hesitation, without stutter. Boaz says he will do. Why? Well, we could say he was a worthy man. We could go back to chapter 2, verse 1. We say he's a worthy man. He sees that this woman needs to be redeemed. He sees the property that is there that needs to be redeemed and retained for his, this family whom he's related to and his clan. We could go there and we could say, worthy man, full stop, case closed, let's go on. But if we read more in chapter 2, what do we see? We see more than just worthiness. We see a man whose affections had already been put on Ruth. Why does he do this? Yes, he is a worthy man. But this worthy man's affections had already been put on Ruth. So let's connect the dot. Ruth approaches a redeemer and asks him to redeem her. But before she has even asked him to redeem her, Unbeknownst to her, really, his affections were already upon her. Is this not how we see salvation take place? We come to our Redeemer asking Him to redeem us only to find out that before the foundations of the world, his affection was already upon you. His affection was already upon you. So that when you came to ask, there was a ready response, without hesitation, without stutter. Do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. Is this not a picture of our own salvation? God brings us to a conviction of the state of our own spiritual reality where we realize that we are destitute and without hope unless someone can redeem us. And God, through the preaching of His Word, lifts our eyes to see Jesus as our Redeemer. Just as Naomi faithfully tells Ruth the good news and points out Boaz to her and says, He's a Redeemer. The good news lifts our eyes to see Jesus. And it says, He is a Redeemer. He is our Redeemer. And we go to Him, running to Him, pleading for Him to take us and receive His grace and forgiveness, only to find out that all along, before we had ever asked, He had already set His affections upon us. And in fact, it's even better then what Boaz said to Ruth, I will do for you all that you have asked. Jesus, our Redeemer, says, my child, it is already done. It is already done. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Paul, in encouraging the Corinthians to give and, and, and thanking them for how they have begun, 
reminds them that it was God who gave first. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Is this not what Boaz is doing for Ruth? Taking what he has to buy and purchase all of Elimelech's property, which will go to her. He is impoverishing himself so that through his poverty, Ruth might become rich. This is what Jesus has done for us. But wait! There's a catch. Did you see the catch? Chapter 3, verse 12. All this for you I will do not fear, my daughter. All you have asked me I will do. What peace that must have brought to Ruth's heart. But he didn't stop talking. And now it is true, he says, that I am a redeemer. It's all true. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. And she's like, okay, yeah, so? <laughs> he didn't give me six bushels of, of barley. I don't know his name. I haven't been in his field. I'm not laying at his feet. Spread your wings over me, <laughs> right? Like, come on. What does he say? Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. Can you imagine Ruth at that point? And if he'll do it, good. Good? Good? What? What have I just got myself into? Naomi! There's a catch. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. And really, that instruction to her is for her own safety. It wouldn't have been safe for her to leave at midnight as a single woman and journey through the country back into the city on her own. And there was great safety and protection in Boaz saying to her, wait here, lie here, sleep, and rest until morning. There was a catch. And what was the catch? The catch is that there was a closer Redeemer. And there's a catch for us. There is a closer Redeemer, in a sense. But what was the problem with our closer Redeemer? He was unable to fulfill his responsibility and to earn for us an eternal place with God. He failed to crush the head of the serpent, and so did his descendants. But one came from the woman of the line of Eve, and of Tamar, and of Rahab, and of Ruth, and of Bathsheba, and of Mary, who though bruised on the heel, crushed the head of the serpent. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about Adam, and I'm talking about Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. 
It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There was a closer Redeemer, Adam the one who was meant to do for us what needed to be done in order to earn our eternal place with the Father. But he was unable to fulfill his responsibility. And so Jesus, as our true Redeemer, the antitype of whom Adam was a type, came and fulfilled and did what needed to be done. So that Paul can say in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians that just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus. Amen? And then we see in verses 14 through 18 that Boaz goes out of his way to again make provision for Ruth. And he sends her home with her cloak filled with food. What is this? Was it just a gift? No. It was a down payment on a dowry. It was a surety for Naomi. So that as Ruth came home and Naomi saw what she brought back with her, that Naomi would know that Boaz was committed to seeing this through to the end. That the work he had began with Ruth, he would complete. And so I ask you, what down payment do we have? Does the typology continue?
the sinner who has heard from the Lord all you have asked, I will do and have done? Is there anything that we carry with us now until we see that completed? The answer is yes. We have a down payment. We have a guarantee. It is the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me as we read Paul's doxology from Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14 in closing this morning. And here as he proclaims to us at the end of this passage the down payment that we have from God of this work of redemption that He is bringing through His Son Jesus. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Listen to this. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, what does it say? And believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Amen. Jesus has already promised to redeem and He has already fulfilled the payment and price required for that redemption. He has promised in John 6 verse 37 that anyone who comes to Him, He will not cast out, but He will receive. Come to Him in prayer and ask Him to redeem you, to spread the wings of His garment over you and hear Him say to you today as the Spirit of God takes up residence and will not leave like Ruth in the field, but better. Hear the Spirit of God say, My child, it is already done. And may... Our eyes this morning see the cross and our Savior there. And may the ears of faith hear Him say, It is finished. And may the heart of faith believe it. And may the mouth 
and tongue of faith confess it and even taste it this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is bread and breath and life for us today. Thank you for visiting us today and bringing us bread. May we see here in this story of Ruth, in this picture of Boaz, the work that you are doing in and through and for us by your Son, through your Holy Spirit. And may it be received today for the first time and for the millionth time. In Jesus' name, amen.